0: Good again everyone. Uh, as Troy suggested a minute ago, we're actually uh, between sermon series today at church. Over the summer, uh, we've been looking at the signs or the miracles that Jesus performed in John's Gospel. Uh, we finished that last week with the greatest of Jesus' signs, his raising of Lazarus from the dead. Uh, and then next week, we're going to come back to the Book of Acts. So I hope you remember we looked at Acts chapters one to twelve last year. Uh, we're going to come back and pick it up at Acts chapter 13 next week. So that's uh, advance warning to go back and reread over Acts 1 to 12 to uh, re-pick up the story uh, before next week. And truth be told, I really didn't want to start that series on the uh, Australia Day long weekend when uh, some people still have their brains on holidays and that sort of thing. I thought we'd wait till next week. So that means we've got this one week gap uh, and so we thought, let's start the year by reminding ourselves, getting our minds into the right frame, Uh, let's get our hearts and our minds set for the year ahead with the right priorities and to do that I want to just remind us of what must be the centre of every Christian's life, that's the purpose uh, of this morning's talk, I want to remind you just how wonderful the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is. That's the idea, Uh, and how you can never hear that good news too often or know it too well. And to do that, I want to turn to the Bible passage I read more than any other. So uh, this is the Bible passage I read when I am feeling flat or dry, when I'm questioning, you know, is it worth doing this? Uh, This is the passage I turn to. This is the passage I read. Uh, But then I discovered, having the passage I've read the most in my life, I've never preached on. And so I said, well, I've got this one week. So let's preach on it and that's why we're turning to Ephesians chapter 2 because this passage reminds you just how wonderful the gospel really is. Uh, So come with me, Ephesians chapter 2 was read to us a moment ago, have it open in front of you Uh, but given what I've just said about how I turn to this passage for refreshment, uh, it actually starts in a really dark place and so I've called the first section the hopeless human condition. So look with me at verse 1, has there ever been a higher starting point than this? And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. as a pretty negative start, isn't it? But, and this is so important, to really appreciate light, you, you need to experience darkness. Uh, to get something fixed, you need to get the right diagnosis or, or you won't search for the answer. See, like many people, especially men, I, I think, uh, I hate going to the doctor. I, I can go for... Almost decades without gracing the door of a GP. Don't worry, don't worry. Now that I'm nearly 50, I know I don't look at the day over 25, but now, now that I'm nearly 50, I know I've got to go and get checkups once in a while. Uh, because the reality is there is no use hiding from a true diagnosis. It's better to know the truth because then you can know how to deal with it. And so here, it's only when you understand the depth of our problem that you can ever understand how truly amazing God's answer is. Now, he's talking to Christians in this passage and he's saying, this is what you were before you knew Jesus. He's saying, this is your reality before you knew Jesus. We were. And to summarise, he says three things. He says, we were dead in our sins, firstly. We were enslaved by the spirit of this world. And thirdly, we were under God's wrath and judgment. So, let's look at it. What does he mean when he says that we were dead? Look from verse 1. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Well, this is what we learned when we saw the story of Adam and Eve last year, when we looked at Genesis 1 to 3. Originally, God made us to live, to to live forever in in perfect relationship with Him. He he made us to live for Him, to know Him, to, to, to honor Him. But the reality is, like Adam, we don't. We we turn our back on God, we try to decide right and wrong for ourselves, even the people we think of as righteous really tend to self-righteousness, that was the Pharisees who who, who Jesus had such an issue with and and all of that is what the Bible calls trespasses and sin and God's judgment on our trespasses and sin is death. The Bible says like Adam and Eve we're cut off from the tree of life in Genesis chapter 3 in the same way our sin cuts us off from God, it cuts us off from the source of life. Our sin means we are spiritually dead, and so, yes, we feel alive. If you go out and ask people, are you dead? They say, no, no, I'm living. I'm, my, my life is wonderful. But actually, from the moment we are born, death and decay is our reality. The best picture I've ever heard to, to, to capture the human condition is that we are like flowers in a vase. The flowers look colourful for a while. They, they look so alive, but from the moment they were cut off, from their roots they were actually dead those bright things in the vase they were actually dead the moment the the farmer cut them off and and sent them off to the markets and so they they look alive even for weeks the ones i tend to buy victoria don't seem to last that long but but the they, some of them last for for ages but eventually all flowers wither that's us in our sin more than that god says we were enslaved look from verse one again Says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked, according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the Spirit now working in the disobedient. So we have to think that, that life without God is free. I meet people who say that I, I grew up in the church, but now I'm free uh, of all the limitations of having to care about what God thinks or what 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 you think about me. But now, if we don't follow God, the Bible says, we follow the spirit of this world. We follow the ruler of this world, which is the devil. We we walk according to his ways. That doesn't mean that we were all into the occult. It doesn't mean we were all into witchcraft, though some people are. It just means we live the way the devil wants us to. We live with no regard for God, as if God doesn't exist, seeking our own pleasure, deciding our own paths, seeking our own ways. The devil doesn't care if you worship him, or whether you worship money, or whether you worship real estate, or any other idol, as long as you don't worship God. And all of that meant that we were, thirdly, under God's wrath and judgment. Look with me at the end of verse 3. It says and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. Because of our sin we deserve God's judgment because of the way we've treated God and because of the way we've treated other people. This idea of God's wrath and judgment is an unpopular doctrine today, it's unpopular in our world but it's even unpopular in the church. People say why don't we just focus on the positives People want just a a God of forgiveness and a a God of love, but God's judgment is real. And, And frankly, if you think hard about it, a God who doesn't care about justice, a God who doesn't hold people to account is not a God worth following anyway. But more than that, we need to talk about God's judgment because it is the real diagnosis. If I have a cancer in my body, there is no use denying it. There's no use saying, well, let's not talk about it and hope it goes away. Let's focus on the positive things. We need the diagnosis so we can get the right treatment. And so this is God's diagnosis of the human condition, dead in our sins, enslaved by the spirit of this world and under God's wrath and judgment. Now, at this point, I want to pause and I want to speak to you if you're here today and you're not a Christian. uh, Because you might be thinking, this is how Christians think about other people. The Christians think this is what other people are like and, and, and I am different. Uh, no, I hope you see here the point is this is the Bible's diagnosis of the universal human condition and, and in fact here uh, the Apostle Paul was speaking as a Jew to Gentiles and as, as he says it, he says, we're just like you. He says, I'm no different, I am like this too. And so I just want to tell you, if you're a non-Christian here today, if you're someone who doesn't know Jesus, if your Christian friend or or family member always invites you to church and and always wants to talk to you about Jesus, it's because they love you. They they want you to find the answer to the universal human problem that they have found. And so that brings us to the next part of our passage, which is the solution to our problem. But I've just given it the heading, but, should come up there on the screen, but, verses 4 to 7. Because verse 4 starts with one of the most powerful and beautiful words in the English language. But. Think about it, but can be so powerful in either a negative or a positive way, can't it? Uh, Think about that guy sitting with the girl at the cafe. I really like you, Fred. I think you're a lovely guy. Fred's heart lifts. But. Fred's heart drops. That's the way it works, isn't it? But is a powerful word. But I just want us to be friends. That but has just broken Fred's heart. Or perhaps the blood tests have shown some serious issues. The heart drops. But I think we can treat them. See, But is such a powerful word, isn't it? And here it is the most wonderful, positive word. We were dead in our sins. We were enslaved to the spirit of this world. We were under God's wrath. But, come to verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. But God, see, we do not fix our problem. Dead people can't fix themselves. See, dead people can't do anything, that's the point, but God does something about it. God shows us mercy, mercy is is giving people what they don't deserve or perhaps better uh, not giving people what they do deserve. Uh, Instead of giving us what we deserve, judgment, God is merciful. Instead of giving us death, God gives us life. Instead of giving us judgment, God gives us forgiveness and it's not that God sees a grain of good in us, it's not that God sees a flicker of life in us and, and then says, I'll give them another go he does it entirely because of himself, he does it because of his love, just because of who he is, God loves the unlovely, just because of who he is, God shows us mercy and so it says God made us alive with the Messiah, that is with Jesus. This passage actually doesn't go into the mechanics of it, this passage doesn't explain how God makes us alive, how Jesus dies for our sin to take the penalty we deserve, how Jesus rises from the dead and defeats death once and for all. This passage is more about what it means for us. He leads it to other places to explain the mechanics. For us, we were dead, now we have eternal life. We were under God's judgment, now we are objects of his mercy and his grace and his kindness. But there's another wonderful part there. So remember we were also enslaved by the spirit of the world? Well, no longer. Look at verse 7, it tells us we now have a place in the heavens with Jesus. That is our true home now. We're not slaves of this world anymore. We're citizens of heaven. So this is the wonderful news of the gospel. This is what God has done for us through Christ. This is why we need to grasp the depths of verses 1 to 3. Because only then can you grasp the heights of God's love and mercy. There's another key word that came up in that passage. Look through it again. What's the other key word there? The word is grace. Look at verse 5 again. He says, you are saved by grace. Grace means that it is a free gift. It's unearned. Sadly the most common misunderstanding of the Christian message is that Christianity is about pulling up your socks so that God might look more kindly upon you and then God will reward you. It's amazing. I can preach a message like this, it's amazing how ingrained that misunderstanding is and someone at morning tea will say to me, oh thanks for the kick up the bum Phil, I've got to do better. That is not the Christian message. The Christian message is the opposite of that. It's all about what God does for us. We are dead in our sins, but God shows us grace. So, my next heading, the grace of God, verses 8 and 9. You know, when you're telling someone a story or communicating something and you've shared the key point or you've shared the punchline, but you look at them and they don't respond? Sometimes that's what it's like as a preacher. Moment of honesty here. You look out. And you share this incredible point and there's a blank face going, I wonder how many bricks are on the wall behind Phil? <laughs> you know, you, you, when you do, they, they should be laughing, but they're not. They should be crying, but they're not. They should be showing some response, but, but they're not. And so you want to grab them by the shoulders. Sometimes I want to come down and grab you by the shoulder. No, I'm, I do actually. But no, you, you want to you turn them to face you and you want to get their attention and, and you want to say, you know, do you really understand what I'm telling you? it's like that here for the Apostle Paul. He's already said we are saved by grace. He's already said that back in verse 5 but it's like he wants to make sure we've really got it. I think verses 8 and 9 are Paul grabbing us by the shoulders, staring into our eyes and saying, have you got it? Look with me, verse 8, he says, for you are saved by grace through faith and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. See how much he stresses the point? I think it's one of the clearest verses in the Bible and yet people still get it wrong. People think that somehow they can do something to, to earn God's favour. People think that somehow they can do things to, to, to be right with God. People somehow think that they should be rewarded even for their faith as if it's some good work they've done that, that merits a positive response. People think, surely I've got to earn God's love in some way. So he slows down for us dummies and he says, you're saved by grace. It is a free gift. And you receive that gift, how? Only by faith. Faith is just a fancy word for believe or or trust. You accept God's gift by believing that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died for your sins, that He rose and defeated death, and by trusting in Him, you are forgiven. Faith is not you doing something, it's you accepting what God has done for you in Christ. And if it is by grace, received by faith, then we have nothing to boast about. Look again at verse 8. From the end of verse 8, it says, It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. When we stand before God and He asks, Why should I not judge you like you deserve? The person who says, oh, Because I was a really nice guy, or be- be- because I wa- went to church, or because of all the good that I did... God will have no time for that person, God will say I don't know you, God wants the person who says well actually you should judge me, that's just what I deserve but thank you that you sent Jesus, thank you for Jesus, that's the Christian gospel. If you're here this morning and you are not someone who trusts in Jesus, if you do not trust in Jesus yet, that is the message we would love you to know. Uh, We would love to help you find out more. I'm going to mention our life course in a moment. We'd love you to come along, ask your questions, find the answers. But for most of us here who know and love Jesus, I want to draw our sermon together with two encouragements. And I've called this last part, Walking in the Light of God's Grace. And this is just from verse 10. My first encouragement is, as we start this year, just remind yourself, this is what it is all about. That's my big encouragement of today. As we start this year, centre your life on this message. This wonderful news should be the centre of our lives. This should be the truth that drives you. Remind yourself of this truth every day. Every day you get up, every night before you go to bed. I was dead in my sins, but God, by his mercy, because of his love, God has made me alive in Christ Jesus. By grace I am saved. Praise God. But then my second encouragement, for that we need to look at this final verse of the passage. See, the passage doesn't end at verse 9. It says, knowing this grace of God will have an impact on you. Look at verse 10. It says, for we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. No one is saved by works he's made that pretty clear in the first nine verses but anyone who is saved now lives to do the good works that God has prepared for us to do now we don't do them because we have to we don't do them because we're trying to pay God back I sometimes hear Christians talk like that why should I do good works well because God's done all this for me and so I better pay him back well, that, that would not be grace. That would just be an advanced payment program like a lay-by at, the, at Kmart. You, you know, that, that is not why you do good works. We do good works because we don't want to walk in the ways of this world anymore. We do the good works because we don't want to be that dead person we used to be. We're now a new person who knows the grace of God and so we walk in His footsteps. So as we start this year, I want to invite us all to be intentional about walking in the good works God has prepared for us. I think He uses that language purposely. I think it has the the sense of intentionality of actually discerning how where am I going to put my feet? Where am I, I'm not going to just follow aimlessly the ways of this world. I am going to intentionally walk in the ways of my Savior. Now, Now that covers every area of life if you think hard you know how can i love my neighbor this year how can i love my neighbor in my home how can i love my my immediate family how can i love my neighbor in my workplace how can i love my neighbor in in my school or uni How can I help build up my church family this year? How can I prioritise my time as God wants me to so that I walk in such a way that encourages my brothers and sisters in Christ? You see, verse 10, I think, demands that we just be intentional in how we walk. Now, I could go on and on about every area of life, but I think this passage demands we think about one area in particular. See, that diagnosis of what we were in verses 1 to 3, yes, it was about what we were, But that is the reality for all people who do not know Jesus. If people are under God's judgment and we have the words of eternal life, how can we ever keep them to ourselves? So I want to encourage you to be intentional in 2024, my notes said 2023 there, I'm still in last year. I want to encourage you to be intentional in 2024 about sharing the wonderful truth you know with others. In my experience we need to be intentional about this, be intentional about your time or life will pass you by and you don't even talk to that person. I think all Christians want everyone to hear the gospel but we only share the gospel with people if we are intentional about it. You see be praying for people, be intentional. Now of course in our church we have a focal point for that, our life course, can everyone take out that card That uh, Troy mentioned earlier on, everyone take it out. If you've been here for any length of time, you've heard about the life course so many times that you might be tempted to switch off at this point, if you do I'm going to get down and shake you, so like I said before, no, but the first life course is starting in just a few weeks and I don't want you to get to the 20th of February and say that's right, the life course started on Tuesday night, I want you to be praying about it now, I want you to be intentionally thinking about your friends and family, about people you know and thinking how can I be sharing Jesus with them, well this is a good thing to be aiming for, as you know the life course is just a relaxed, no pressure opportunity for people to come and hear the good news about Jesus, hear a message like what I've shared from Ephesians 2 uh, and to come to ask their questions so that they might come to know Jesus like we have. But I want to ask every member of St. George North to be intentional about that date now, praying towards it. If you've never been to the life course, just lock it in and come so that you see how helpful it is. You can come and be a helpful person there to talk to other people, but be praying for friends and family and ask them along. My hope is that every member of St. George North is intentionally working towards that opportunity. And why? Well, because God has saved you by grace that's why, so that you might walk in the good works he has prepared for you and what better work than to share the good news you have come to know. But also because you love people and you want them to find the life you have come to know. Why don't I pray for us all for this year ahead right now. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful news. We know that we were dead in our trespasses and sins but you have made us alive in Christ Jesus. We thank you that it is not by works we know that we have nothing to boast about even our best works are filthy rags but Father instead we thank you that we are saved by grace received through faith and Father we pray that we would not keep this wonderful news to ourselves but that we would then be intentional about walking in the good works you have prepared for us to do And in particular, we pray uh, that we would be looking for opportunities to share this wonderful news with anyone who might hear it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.